On this episode of Dweeb Dive, we're back. The divers are back. We're not dead. So we're going to go talk about a little bit where we've been and what we've been up to. And then, of course, we're going to have our famous deep dive into episode one of the second season of The Mandalorian. But it's going to be a little bit different than you're used to. So it feels really good to say it, but let's go ahead and batten down those hatches. And dive, dive. What is going on, everybody? It's Austin, joined, as always, by my co-host, Connor. Dweeb Dive, Woo-hoo! we're back. It's November 2020. We're living in a crazy wow. world, crazy times. Wow. Connor, man, how you been? Oh, Austin, my, I've been aching to hear you say that to me again, dude. I feel like my <laughs> life hasn't been... You know what? <laughs> as soon as Dweeb Dive stopped, the world fell into chaos. So I feel like... Us coming back is the start of our healing process here in 2020. Yeah, not just for us, um, but for the world, so it seems. For the world. Yeah, the world fell apart when we stopped podcasting. That's that's how important we are. Um, I, I, I'm good. Good, man. You know, it's hard. I don't want to I don't want to be like, oh, I'm doing so well, oh, yeah. considering the context, you know. But uh, we've, we've grown up a little bit since uh, we had our last episode, Austin. We were both academic boys. Yes. At the current moment, grad school boys, nursing school for you and uh, a master's degree yes. for me. Yes, and so that is what was alluded to at the very introduction of the changes. And that is essentially, I was in nursing school. I had always been in nursing school, but I actually started the, uh, say the actual school because I was doing prerequisites at the time we were recording. So it wasn't quite as strenuous. And then as Connor alluded to himself, he was a working man, and now he's back to being a schoolboy in a totally new state from where he originally was working. So he he yeah. was in Illinois, and now he is in the warm, beautiful sunshine state of Florida. So that is a massive change. Miami. Miami, indeed. Yeah. Enjoying the food it's, and the sunshine. I am enjoying the food. That's very evident by... Uh, you know, looking in the mirror in the morning, <laughs> I just go, <laughs> what have you done to yourself? But uh, I, I, I'm having a great time. I will say I keep forgetting to update people on like life changes. I, the, so last night I actually posted to my Instagram story. I was like, hey, Miami friends, is there a good like secondhand shop where I can buy some furniture? And then my phone just blew up. People are like, what? <laughs> You're in Florida? Nice. Like, so Sorry. If uh, the only way you know me is through this podcast, uh, I am in Miami, Florida. If you'd like to come and uh, kill me for my opinions about Star Wars, uh, my address is 27. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking of opinions and speaking of Star Wars, Austin, uh, I am very excited to be talking about this. Yes. I'm excited to be back on this yeah, podcast. And, and again, more foreshadowing if you will in the introduction a little bit of a different approach as far as how we're going to break down and you know i'll be a hundred percent honest and transparent with you we would do a full episode dive and breakdown and quite frankly it was fun it got us to a lot of interesting places as far as what we discussed along the episodes but i think it left us both quite fragile mentally and i say that in essence of we had a a very 
not strict routine, but a, a pretty strict routine as far as when we recorded, which was late at night, what we would do, how would we do it. And when our routines changed in the spring, essentially, it really shattered that fragile timeline, if you yeah. will. And approaching now, I think we both want to avoid that burnout. We enjoy talking about things, but not to the level and to the extent that we did it. And as a, not necessarily a respect thing for the viewer, but we're just going to assume that you have watched what we have watched and not go into the deep breakdown as we did, but rather a quick synopsis and then kind of what we think. I think returning back to the origination of the idea when we came up with Dweeb Dive and how we wanted to do the dives, we strayed a little bit from the original idea, we burnt out, but now we're back and we're going to essentially try and tackle this in a new and different light. So that's kind of what the illusion of not, well, okay, well, one thing is for certain, I'm still a dope, so there that hasn't changed. <laughs> I was just going to say, nothing's <laughs> That hasn't changed, changed so we still uh. get that um, prior to a deep dive as usual. So I'm kind of right on cue with, uh, mm. with trying to explain myself and then going right into a yeah. grammatical slash word Dude. choice <laughs> mistake. Wow. Dweeb Dive Nation was waiting on the edges of their seats for the divers to resurface from the depths of the void. And then you come back, coming in hot, all cylinders firing, and you mess up grammar. It's perfect. It's, there, there's not, it couldn't happen any better way. But yeah, in short, we're not doing the Spark Notes version. We are not doing the entire plot summary beat to beat, moment to moment. We'll give a little overview, of course, but we are just going to talk about what we want to talk exactly. about. Exactly what struck us and what didn't, you know, quite hit for us and cool things like that. And hopefully you'll learn something along the way. Indeed. Indeed. So we'll go ahead. We'll go ahead. Right. Wow. I, okay. I literally just <laughs> put myself on repeat. Is there an echo in my brain? What just happened? I think you have brain worms, wow. bud. Okay. I think you got, yeah, you got a crate dragon burrowing in your, the, your gray right, let's matter. Let's go ahead and retry that. <laughs> go for it. You got it. So let's go ahead and get into the breakdown, the synopsis. And it's going to be really short, quite literally 30 seconds. Okay, I'm timing you. Three, two, one, Okay, go. Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. We're back with Mando and the child. He essentially locates another Mandalorian to finish his quest of returning the child. He does Mando things to this person. We go back to Tatooine. We have a nice little reunion with the droid lady. And then we go to a podunk town on Tatooine. We find the marshal. We find some interesting armor that he has on, which we'll talk about. And then we have a fun alliance with the sand people and the folks of this backwater town. We kill a giant acid-breathing worm dragon. Mando takes the armor, and that's it. That's the episode. So that's our breakdown. 41 seconds. Uh, Not bad. Not bad. Okay. 41 seconds. Hey, it beats three hours, though. That it does, <laughs> instead of going into every little twist and turn. But we'll we'll still do the deep dive. So as a more maybe casual Clueless fan, if you will, I watched the episode with my wife. It was on the couch. Mm -hmm. It was very easy, a subtle evening, if you will. But the flip side, as I saw through social media, you and your family went all out for the Mandalorian's return. Yeah. Dressed up through essentially a party and 
obviously there was a lot of excitement and anticipation with this episode. So with that being said, did this episode meet, exceed, or get below your expectations? You and you know your family, considering they all dressed up as well. And mm-hmm. tell me why. Well, to bury the lead just a little bit, I want to respond to the, the party thing. So it, it was a family party. <laughs> and the first thing you got to understand about my mom is that she's on crack. Just naturally. Just she <laughs> naturally exists in a state of being on crack. So like a day before I'm about to come home, she's like, hey, like, uh, go on Amazon overnight, like a Star Wars costume, like do all this stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So luckily I have like a cape. I have a lightsaber already. So I was like, I'll just go as generic dark side force user, whatever. I show up. Vicky Losi has a full size and, and that's not even correct. It's scaled up eight times of baby Yoda, like an inflatable. Like, you know, like the machine inflatable, like balloon yep. things. She's got that. She's got a 10 foot tall poster of the Mandalorian. My dad, the drip is just unbelievable on this man. <laughs> he has the best Star Wars costume I think I've ever seen concept wise. Uh, yeah, I agree. Did I did. I saw the family photo. I am a avid follower it's... of one Vicky Losi, so I did see it. Losi Family yes. Media, LLC. Yes. Uh, for the viewers out there, it's just Han Solo and Carbonite. I don't know how else to explain it to you. It's just he was Han Solo and Carbonite. He was a slab. It was incredible. <laughs> Quite. It was fantastic. Yeah. Austin, my brother Austin, was a Jawa. Another amazing mm-hmm. – I don't know if you saw that photo, dude, but that was sick. Um, my sister-in-law Nadia was Ray, a very convincing Ray. Everything she was wearing was like, it was like a towel, bandages, some like boots she found. And then she did her hair and it looked perfect, like movie quality. And then Matt was like a Padawan and had his hair and a like <laughs> a little alfalfa sprout on top nice. of his head. He didn't really get any points for his costume, well. but, uh, we were all super, super psyched. We were so psyched. In fact, Austin. That we did not have time to watch The Mandalorian together. Oh. Isn't that sad? <laughs> Are you disappointed? Wow. We had we actually ended up all watching it separately, but then we had like a big family group text. And uh, you know, I got I got hyped up about a couple things. Uh, I will say good. I I, I, I I'm not prepared to give numerical ratings quite yet. I don't feel like I'm back in full dweeb diver mode, but I will say good. Mm-hmm. I will say I'm happy it's back. I'm invested. I'm interested. Definitely some criticisms to get over today, Ooh, though, okay. for sure. Okay. For sure, but plenty of praises as well. So would you, you say start, that fall? Well, have, well, so yeah. would you say that it fell within the meets your expectations? It didn't exceed. It didn't go below. It just kind of met mm-hmm. what you were expecting out of it. I thought there was two. Besides all the specific plot points and things that they could have, you know, at the end of the first season and going into the second season, you know, we talked ad nauseum about that. But overall, I think the narrative for The Mandalorian was, is it going to embrace the darker side of this bounty hunting profession, the darker side of the Star Wars universe, the darker side of, you know, kind of what Star Wars really allows on screen, just especially under the family, you know, the Disney family of products Mm -hmm. now versus are they going to embrace a more kid-friendly, family-friendly, Marvel-esque style of show. And I think they went mostly, mostly with the latter, which I am disappointed by in a way, but it's not without a good amount of understanding. And I feel like most fans understand why that's going to happen. And they think 
like I kind of saw it coming. I kind of anticipated it, but I'm still kind of sad. I, hmm. It's just such a good setting for like really, really dark and morally gray stories. But you know, you can't get you can't always get what you want from uh, a property like Star Wars and a property like Disney. I mean, they have a lot of expectations and a lot of people to kind of service with the with the products they put out. So I get it, but man, I was I was kind of hoping for a slightly darker tinge. That being said. There's some good stuff. Mando's still putting baddies down. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we hopped in, first of all, in that first fight scene, the Gamorrean fight scene, uh, immediately, that was like, I think Favreau was like, hey, let's put every character, every race that's ever been like re- even remotely touched on, let's just put them in this scene. Just get a giant dump of lore. And I thought that was like a really, for me, a nerd like me, that was a personally a really, really great way um, to start. Mm-hmm. Because it still shows that, like, hey, we care about like you know these little touch points of lore that are kind of subtle, and it, it, it's there if you want it, but it's not by no means like necessary to understand the show. So that was cool. Like, you got your Gamorians fighting in the center. You got the Twi'lek bouncer. Uh, Austin, let me ask you a trivia question. First trivia question oh, for Dweeb Dive season oh, two. You ready? Oh boy. Okay. <sighs> what is the species? I don't of know. the cyclopic character in the beginning of the show. The, uh, <laughs> Are you disappointed? The Cyclops man. I don't think Cyclopic's really even a word, but it is now. You know? Do, we, do you want to venture a guess? Uh, do you, uh, no, I, I really don't because... I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here's something, I, here's something. Here's another exercise, though. Can you just give that creature a name? Let's pretend that you, you're, uh, you're Favreau, you're, fuck, you're you're George Lucas. Give that creature a name. Oh boy. I. Something fitting. (laughs) Something fitting. Like what, like what would be a fitting name for a creature that resembles a small humanoid cyclops? What what would you think? I mean, it'd just essentially be like a mini clops then, right? It's like a. A A mini clops. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, see, that is. While a little strange, that is reasonable. It, it, it implies something about the creature that makes... There's no dissonance between your name and what the creature looks like. In classic Lucas fashion, of course, his names are either exactly what the monster or creature is or have nothing to do with it. This is a case of nothing to do with it. They're called an abyssin. Like, abyss with an I-N on the end. What? Jeez. What is that? I... I Lucas just drives me crazy sometimes the way he he named things because it's like the Abyssin. That sounds like so dark and crazy. Like that must be like a creature from the netherworld, something just twisted and evil and nefarious. Nope, it's just a dude with one eye. That's an Abyssin. (laughs) Nice. I love Lucas, man. So I actually wanted to touch on a couple of things you had said as well. Um, The first, the easiest one being all the characters in the in the fighting, the fight club arena, if you will, um, to a less severe level, if you, uh, if you will. Um, wow, gosh, I keep repeating myself. I'm really, I can't tell if that's good or bad, but anyway, so you see all the different <laughs> creatures. It's like a nostalgia factor for a lot of fans as far as, Hey, I yeah. recognize the pigmen. I recognize, you know, the bouncer. I recognize this, that, and the other. So I think it's a good, mm reintroduction of to where we are in star wars and 
kind of get us back into that mindset of we're back in this universe. We've got all these creatures. It's it. We're home. Like we're home. Yes. So that's that's a nice a nice touch. I agree with having everybody in there. And then, as far as the dark side turn, I would leave it up to chance. Still, I think the first season had its darker moments, but we have to remember when the first season ended, we were on a very lighter note of hope and a mission and all these other things that essentially left us in a good mood. And I would think it would be a disservice to immediately plunge us into dark doom and all these other things that are certainly there in the Star Wars realm. But just because we are in such a good place, it would be if we went straight to the opposite side of the spectrum, I feel like a lot of people said, well, how do we get here? We were in such a good spot. We supposedly defeated the bad guy. We got away. We got our mission. Everybody's hunky-dory. Everybody's alive for the most part. We're good to go. You know, there's a valiant sacrifice by the droid at the end. So we're in a happy place and we're picking up where we left off. So if it would have gone dark immediately, I feel like that would have put a lot of people in a weird spot. Now, I think there's certainly going to be areas where this is not going to be easy and we're going to certainly reach some dark spaces. Now, the level, I don't know, as you pointed out, with Disney being the presiding overlord, if you will, over the Star Wars universe, how dark can you get with a Mickey Mouse stamp on? I don't know. But <laughs> we cert- I certainly think there's, there's room for that. But yeah, I mean, I, for me... I don't think it's something that I expected right out of the gates, and I certainly think it'll it'll come. But again, to the level of extent, I, I just don't know. But I wouldn't. It's not to the level of critiquing because I wasn't really expecting anything to be dark and dreary at the onset of the first episode, based on what we saw in the last season. Now we are recording this on Friday, November sixth, yeah, and we both have not watched the second episode, so. We don't know what happens next, and it Very could true. certainly we could certainly take a turn, um, but we don't know yet. So as it stands right now, I personally was happy with how it started, and I think the door's open for what Connor had mentioned with the doom and gloom. But I disagree with him in essence of being disappointed that it wasn't right out of the gates. So the nostalgia factor I, you know, was there. We a little maybe. You're going to clarify on that doom and gloom part now that I've chimed in. But uh, we'll, so we'll go back to that because I'm sure you have something to say to clarify because I'm sure I misinterpreted, as always, which is on brand for <laughs> no, not us. Quite, not quite. On brand. And then we'll go, we'll go on into more nostalgia, obviously, with getting to Tatooine and some of the things that we see there. So, all right. Clear the air. Sure. Correct me. Well, where, where are we at? Actually, Austin, I'd like to commend you for your for your poise and your grace <laughs> when discussing that because I shouldn't put it past Favreau and crew that they could start a season and kind of tee us up for maybe a feeling of lightness and levity and then plunge us into darkness later in the season. I I should give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, that could be in the cards for them. I just kind of feel like I saw some markers in the production and how they've chosen to write some of like the 
uh, I want to say, I want to call them NPCs. That's not a correct term, but the, the, the side characters and the, you know, just people they encounter, there's the way they're acting and the way that they're, their dialogue is written mm-hmm. to me. I'm like, oh, okay, right. like maybe, maybe this is how it's just going to be. Maybe this is how it's going to, how the Mandalorian just kind of shape up as a, a brand. If you, if, if you want to call it that or, or, or an ambience or a feeling, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's too early to call that, and we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, watch watch this episode come out in episode two. Uh, Baby Yoda dies. Oh. The Mandalorian gets decapitated, and then and then the season's <laughs> over after two episodes. All the right, season's great. Over. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. The Mandalorian season. <laughs> Thank two. you for our uh, the return of Reed Dive. We're two episodes in. All right, we'll see you guys in six months. All right, this is the farewell episode, guys. <laughs> the, <laughs> it's the fourth really farewell episode of of note. Yeah, but okay, yeah. so. We're back on Tatooine. We've Let's been here it. before. We've got the nostalgia points because we reunite with the droid lady and her two or three or whatever dopey droids. Obviously, Mandalorian's attitude has changed towards them. They they goof something up on the ship. Whatever. He doesn't yeah. seem to care all that much anymore. He, you know, trying to stay away from the episode breakdown. We're we're in a backwater town on Tatooine that nobody's ever heard of. It's a mining town whatever he's looking for another mandalorian and this is where we get probably one of the big i okay it's not one it's not the biggest because certainly at the end there is something that we'll be contesting here we'll We'll contest that that. that's a big but the armor that the marshal is wearing he comes in he's got boba fett's armor who we saw essentially get eaten in is it a sarlacc pit what we believe hold on i gotta pop it could be it very well could be and i think that would it's probably their intention but but we you never know because as mandalorian season progressed the last season progressed we figured out that there are coverts which are little societies of mandalorians kind of sprinkled throughout the galaxy so that differs from previous interpretations of like the Mandalorian diaspora across the galaxy. There's actually quite a few more than we, you know, maybe would have previously thought. They're also, you know, they're, they're journey, they're journeymen, they're, no, they're nomadic, you know, they, they go all over the galaxy. So is it possible that another Mandalorian set of armor found its way to this little backwater town or, or rather into the hands of Jawas? Totally possible. However, with the thing at the end of the episode, plus the striking resemblance to Boba Fett's armor. I think it's probably a safe bet to say it, it is. I, Whether it's regurgitated or he is truly still alive, uh, we will discuss that yeah. later. I but, think it's on brand yeah. for basically if you take what you have in the Star Wars universe and you apply it to what you see on the screen, that is mm-hmm. Boba Fett's armor if you're thinking about it in a black and white manner. Now, I mean, it's super beat up. The Jawas had it. We're on Tatooine. So Tatooine checks the box of the last time we saw him with Jabba the Hutt. Um, the armor mm-hmm. checks out. As, I mean, well, this could be disputed, but it checks out as damn near resembling what he had on. Third thing, it's beat right. to hell. So that kind of checks the box of when he supposedly got eaten. Basically, if you watch Star Wars and somebody falls down a pit, you cannot see the bottom of whether it's mechanical or organic that person could still be alive because (laughs) good point because darth maul 
if you don't know, he lives after Phantom Menace. Um, that is a big point in the Clone Wars and Rebels, the two yeah. cartoon, or excuse me, the animated canon in canon shows. He's still alive. He fell down a pit. We thought he was dead. He's not. We saw Luke Skywalker fall down a massive pit, mechanical. We got a goad with him, so he, so we know that he lives down a massive pit. Emperor Palpatine falls down a massive pit on the Death Star, mm. and we find out he ends up being alive, whether you liked it or not. But that kind of just fits the pit narrative of Star Wars. And now we're on to supposed Boba Fett, who <laughs> fell down oh an God. organic pit, if you will, last time we saw him. Sure. And... We'll get to it, but his armor's there. So essentially, yeah. if you if you huh. want to die and if you want to live in Star Wars, but look like you die, fall down a pit is what I'm saying. You fall down a pit. Luke fell into a Rancor pit. There's see? so many pits. And pit pits ain't shit. Not in Star Wars. That's what they're saying. This is an anti-pit media. Oh boy, this is propaganda against pit pits. nation is gonna rise up against us bit nation for for this <laughs> no. declaration or would it be for us i this is actually a little tricky one as far as nations are concerned no this is absolutely an insult to is pit it okay nation. pits look there's no good pits pits are they know who they are pit nation is all about pits <laughs> being this big trap this big like you know horrible thing that can happen to you and not once as you have just beautifully illustrated to me by the way i've never heard this take before as you've beautifully illustrated pits ain't shit in star wars they're, they're just disregard them. They don't. Yeah. Matter. Well, now that you say it that way, I guess I am kind of attacking the integrity of the danger of, of pits. pits. So you are, now I can totally understand are. why Pit Nation would rise up, indeed rise up against Dweeb Dive, along with many other nations that we have. Andrew Nation. <laughs> well, Andrew Nation was uh, a positive. I can't remember. That was that oh, was that's a right. Positive. Andrew Nation's of one yes. on our side. That's our one ally. Yeah, correct. Correct. So. <laughs> Pit Nation, we have, okay. we have tallied. So it's that, yeah. So we see the armor, it's beat up, and and then obviously the thing is, he takes the helmet off, which is a big no no in Mandalorian culture, and that essentially, yeah. when we see it, you're like, oh my gosh, it's Boba Fett. Well, many people probably thought that. I thought that, and he takes his armor off, and you're like, or not his armor, his helmet off, and you're like, oh wait a minute. That's not Boba Fett. That's Timothy Oliphant, you beautiful man. And God, he's gorgeous. He's a, he is. Wow. He is indeed. He is a good he's not Boba dude. Fett, but he sure is a looker. So we kind of checked that mm -hmm. box. But now, now we're kind of like, okay, now the questions arise. Where did he get this? We kind and we find out if from Jawas, but like it, it's like, oh, now we're nostalgic mm -hmm. because we thought he was dead. But we now still maybe think he's dead, but his armor survived, so that's cool. It got regurgitated. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, okay, here that that's where my my not I won't say nerd rage, but my my dweeb senses started tingling, if if you will, because <laughs> the, and and uh, look, I don't know if this is like pure canon anymore or if this is um, legends canon now, but. Sarlacc pits were originally intended to be eternal suffering pits. So you don't necessarily actually die. But the way the way it was originally described to me is Sarlacc pits, they keep their victims alive. Like 
they keep their soul alive. Their body gets disintegrated and like the acid is so strong, it disintegrates everything, but they keep their like soul or essence alive in a sense. And they torture them in their stomachs for like eons, which is a little silly. I'll admit that is a bit like there are like force ghosts. There are like, there is like an idea of a soul in Star Wars, but it's not well-defined. So I can understand if they kind of retconned the lore behind Sarlax and they're now more of just a more basic organic just creature that eats stuff. Um, so I guess, but even, even if it is the latter version of a Sarlacc, the more natural world version of a Sarlacc, I would assume the acid's pretty dang strong, right? You would think. So I guess, I guess best, I guess Beskar is just like, it, it, it's pretty much like unobtainium. It's just the OP metal. I don't well, know. there's that, and then when you apply the pit logic, I mean, <laughs> you want, yeah, well, I mean, what you, what else do you need? You got indestructible armor stand for plus pit. the pit knowledge. <laughs> I mean, even in your description of the deep Sarlacc pit cannon, the victim is yeah. alive still, and that still counts as falling down a pit and living because he's they're yeah. alive, feeling torture somehow. If it was the Sarlacc monster instead of the Sarlacc pit, he'd be totally exactly. dead. Exactly. You know what? That's because a good Because it's point. Sarlacc pit. Because it's Sarlacc pit. Lucas knew. He saw ahead into the future. And he was like, Pitch, uh, they're not very good. This will leave a back door for Boba Fett to come back. I mean. <laughs> that's, my, uh, that's my George Lucas impersonation debuting wow. today on Dweeb Dive Season 2, Episode 1. I don't one. know how to rate it, but. So congratulations. You've all been witness to greatness. Yeah. Well. Um. Okay, though. So, I don't know about you, Austin, but when I watch media, mm-hmm. I kind of have this internal rating system of the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's more so the good, the eh, and the ugly. Because bad and ugly, to me, they're They're basically the same, the same thing. I've so never gotten that cliche. It's the either. good, the eh, and the ugly. I like that better. Okay. Um, okay well, We're trademarking so, that here like, as well. The good, the eh, and the ugly is a dweeb dive okay, trademark. Great. Please credit dweeb Look dive for the merch. whenever using. Okay. We got that out of the way. <laughs> Look out for the merch. <laughs> so, like, for example, the opening of this episode, The Good, that was great. Just great way to suck us back into the world of The Mandalorian. Very gritty, very real, very, uh, like, the species are super diverse, uh, as opposed to other kind of Star Wars media where it's just a lot of humans or a lot of very near humanoid things. But, we like, Favreau puts us right back into, like, the gritty, weird physical costume star wars that's good amy sedaris last season good this season maybe a little bit too much screen time i think they let her off the hook maybe a little bit too much because look amy sedaris if you don't know she's from strangers with candy which is how colbert got a start really funny honestly one of my favorite comics on instagram if you don't follow her she's a psychopath in the best way possible i just think she got a little too much screen time so for me that was an eh not ugly but it was an eh Mm -hmm. Timothy Oliphant, like seeing the guy, not super sure about his character. And here is why. Mm -hmm. Timothy Oliphant, probably, arguably his most iconic role was as Raylan in Justified, which is a modern Western. It is a Western-style show that takes place in modern times. He's a, what are they called? He's not sheriff. He's a uh, He's a marshal. Oh, wait. <laughs> I just put two and two together. What the hell? Nice, dude. He's a U.S. Marshal, and he's a Marshal, and, well, that's kind of cheeky. 
Wow, that kind of actually, that just kind of blew up my entire, huh. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, okay, well, even more so, even more so. The, the connection is obvious, but in Justified, Raylan is a super steely, low-key, really doesn't say much, kind of stares you down from a thousand miles away kind of a guy. And I feel like they were trying to touch on that, but it just didn't hit right. He was, like, too friendly. I kind of thought, like, this is my honest-to-God reaction. When the first time Mando told him to take it off, I thought he was going to pretend like he, like they were going to, like, fake us out by, like, oh, they're going to draw pistols on each other. And then he's going to be like, oh, okay, I'll just... And he just takes his armor off. Like, that's literally what I thought was going to happen. So I just, I'm just, like, wondering why didn't they lean into his obvious DNA as a marshal? Maybe it'd be too similar. I don't know. I just was like, there a little bit of a missed opportunity with his character in this episode, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it fits the narrative for what you're describing as the standoffish marshal versus what he's described as the marshal in this town. I mean, he obviously interacts and is a kind of the bright light for this town. He knows people. They know him. He's respected. Um you know, he, that yeah. kind of a thing. So trying to put the two together, it, and I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe they want to deviate away from what he's known for as a marshal. But I mean, I think his, the character they tried to create in Tatooine for him as a marshal, I think hit as far as he kind of had those qualities when it wasn't in regards to, his own town folk and he i mean the very casual laid back uh you know scene in the bar where certainly you thought you were gonna draw on each other um yeah but you know i i like i liked him i liked it i thought his character was was pretty spot on for just being kind of random and i mean obviously timothy alphonse a pretty heavy hitter so whether he makes another return or something i don't know i i know we we obviously know bill burr i think he's coming back as the same character from the last episode or excuse me the last season so obviously yeah. a name that we know he comes back timothy alfont does he have a place com- coming back obviously tatooine we've we've been here twice now so maybe he has some significance there mm-hmm. but um he might yeah i mean so we we kind of know the story he these miners take over this little town after the empire falls. He goes to the desert. He gets picked up by Jawas. He trades right. something for the armor. He comes back, saves the town, and that's how he got the armor. And that's what I'm saying. He gats them all down, and he's like, on paper, he's this desperado, saves the town, guns him down, refuses to give the armor up. He's like, you got to do something for me if I'm going to do this for you kind of a guy. On paper, I'm like... That's Raylan from Justified. He's straight to the books. He doesn't back down. But then, I don't know. He was a little bit too much like, hey, neighbor. <laughs> He's a little too nice for me. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. And that, that gets back to what I said at the beginning of the episode. There's a couple little yeah. things, a couple little markers where I'm like, okay, they're pulling some punches here. It's it's not quite as like, as it could be. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just a crusty old fool. Maybe, but... I mean, he was more like that with the sand people, right? Exactly. And that's where I'm like, there it is. It's right there. You have all the, everything you need. Well, he kind of, 
It kind of fits that he's not like that with the people that he likes, and he's like that with the people he doesn't like, like sand people. Sure, but like with Mando, I. I well, I mean, I, he. I mean, I think he kind of. At least to me, it was conveyed that he knows who, or maybe not who, but what Mando is and why he's there. So it's kind of like a. And obviously, Mandalorians are very well known for their fighting ability, so I would assume he would be overmatched. So it's kind of like a, like ah, well, the time Fair came. Point. You know, I'm not gonna be Fair a point. huge, you know, uh, what's a good safe word? Not gonna be abrasive to someone that I absolutely know could put me into the ground. You know, he. I don't think he was overly welcome. I think it was kind of, you know a westerny style with the drinking part but the choosing to potentially draw on each other was that line and then obviously he wants mando's help because the dragon worm the alaskan bullworm mm-hmm. comes through town and uh <laughs> shouts <laughs> shout shouts out spongebob fun. um and they that's where they make the agreement um obviously that i mean that part is just typical mandalorian do a task get something as far as yeah, the very lore. very D and D. Yeah, I mean it's not hard to yeah. break that down. Um, so we'll skip that. I mean they blow up, they do a lot of fighting, they kill the giant worm. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're coming back to it. Are we gonna skip that though, Austin? What are we, are we gonna skip it though? Well, Here I, well, is well, I thought, but maybe not. <laughs> I so the fighting ring, the crate dragon. The mines in the sand. The sand people. There's a connection here, Austin. Oh. It, it may be unbeknownst to you, but there is a very, very solid connection Clearly here. Clearly it's unbeknownst to me. So, it's here. And the, con- the connection is, the connection is, it's from a source. It's from a piece of Star Wars media mm-hmm. that not only has managed to infiltrate both the Mandalorian, plenty of the new games... But also the aesthetics and even the character decisions and choices and concepts in the newest trilogy. Do you know what that piece of Star Wars media is, Austin? Uh, no, I do not. But it sounds big. Knights of the Old Republic, dude. It's crazy. I, I went crazy on this the last time we talked about The Mandalorian because... They are... It's like the Bible now. It's so crazy. They keep going back to it. And and I'll tell you what I mean. Fighting rings. First introduced. uh, They were touched on in the books a couple times, but they were never featured. They were truly introduced for the first time, popularized in KOTOR, on Taurus. First time, fighting rings. Gamorreans. Boom. KOTOR. Mm -hmm. Number two. The crate dragon quest on Tatooine to kill it because it's terrorizing the surrounding area. Guess what? One of the main featured quests in KOTOR. The main character goes, wow, there's a crate dragon. I need to like get rid of it so I can go into the, into the cave where it resides, where it's sleeping all day. How are we going to do that? We have to bury mines. You literally bury mines in the desert to kill the crate dragon. This is shot for shot, moment for moment, taken directly from the game. There are, there are some differences, but the concept, mm-hmm. completely from KOTOR. Mm. And by the way, Rey, completely based on one of the main characters from KOTOR, Bastila. She has a weird, like, triple bun thing 
like Ray does. She uses a staff, and eventually that becomes an orangey-yellow double-bladed lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Revan, another character from that game, the villain, his mask, exactly like the DNA of which like created Kylo Ren's mask. It's so clearly being sourced and referenced in all of this new Star Wars stuff, but nobody's talking about it, and nobody knows what it is. I think that's the biggest and thing like, right you, there is what you just said. Nobody knows what it is, which... And I will say probably it's like driving me crazy. the majority of people don't know what it is. So it's really easy to tap into it and create excellent stories. And I think that just goes to show the excellence in the creation of KOTOR itself. Because if you're able to have yes. it, I mean, how long ago was that KOTOR? 2003, okay, I so believe. 17 years, the storyline is created. One of the best games for many Star Wars fans. You pull 17-year-old content out and you apply it to 2020 and it is mm-hmm. a massive hit. I think that just goes to the strength of the writing and the creation yep. and the lore that exists. And obviously we talked about it last season or not necessarily last season, but you know, previously and when discussing Star Wars of the potential shift into – at now the trilogy is done with the Skywalkers. Where do we go from here to make money? As, as I mean, obviously, let's be honest, to make money. Yeah. Yes. If we're pulling seventeen-year-old yes. content and we're hitting it every single time, bullseye, 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 bullseye. I think that's where we're going. Now, I don't think it's old Republic. I think it's High Republic, if I'm not mistaken. But similar concept. They're they're, they're tweaking. They're okay. tweaking. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that's an important thing. But nobody knows. I mean, I could ask my my wife her family other casual star wars fans i bet they could not tell you what kotor high republic old republic is at all and honestly as a slightly more informed star wars fan i probably couldn't tell you either now my base is a little bigger just because i've watched all the animated canon which certainly has Mm -hmm. different things that i'm sure connect back to the times of the old republic like sith temples and holocrons and all that stuff which obviously i was angry about in the movie because it does i mean it did not cross correlate at all with what the canon had said but that's another story obviously that's been told already so i think that's interesting that you bring that up and it's something obviously that i missed because i'm not well versed and now i wonder if that is a overlying theme we're going to be talking about as the season progresses and it's probably something that you'll be on the lookout for of the storyline the lore the references and i think now that you bring that to light in my mind because favreau is so genius with it disney and favreau are kind of maybe collaborating saying okay this is what we want star wars to go but we're not really sure Mm -hmm. what we're going to do with it because we don't really know how it's going to land but what we do have is an excellent show that is the first of its kind in the mandalorian let's introduce concepts mm-hmm. from the where we want to go if it hits if it rates well now we know we can push it through mm, interesting. into interesting more movies more games more shows if it doesn't then we're gonna have to go back to the drawing board but obviously it looks really it's looking really good and i have a feeling it's going to continually mm. to look good now that you bring that up. So that was a revelation of my own just from a businessy standpoint. Okay. Okay. I 
think that's a very optimistic way to see this. And I'm glad that you are the voice of optimism here because I took it completely differently. I think Uh they're dipping into this content because somebody on the production cast, in the writing staff, somewhere, somebody, maybe it's Favreau himself, I don't know. They know how awesome that game is and how groundbreaking it was in terms of storytelling in the Star Wars universe because it is truly the first of its kind to tell stories like that in Star Wars. You know, of the expanded universe, of things that, you know, do not relate to the Skywalkers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I look, if you don't play video games, you just have to believe me. Or I, I hope you play it for yourself. I, I would recommend, by the way, the version in the Apple Store if you have a Mac. Play it on a PC. It is available on Xbox, but that version is not. Is It's kind of buggy. It is a beautifully written game. It's so fun. It's, it, it just it has so much going for it. And like... When I see them take from it, Austin, I'm thinking, oh, no. Hmm. Oh, no. They're, they're rehashing this amazing game, but they're never going to give it credence, which means they're never going to go back to it properly. And that's sad to me because the, the fan base for KOTOR has been asking for a remake for 10 years. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. To me, but maybe it will. Maybe it, like, and that's why I said thank you for being optimistic because you kind of reframed it in a way that makes sense. And maybe, maybe that is what they're gonna do. I just, I just want love for Kotor because it's clearly been influencing everything in Star Wars as of late. And I'm just like, where's the love? Yeah. Mm. Well, I think to your point, if it was not Favreau and Filani on it. You know, on the Mandalorian, if we and if we if we need a refresher, obviously we know who Favreau is. Uh, I think it's Dave Filani is the guy that essentially oversaw the clo- animated series, The Clone Wars, which was incredible. Right. I just finished it actually uh, yesterday, I think, or yeah, yesterday. Oh, so, wow. um, and we'll. I wanted to talk briefly about it as we wrapped up the episode um, about where we think it's going to go and some important pieces. So we'll get there, but. In line of Favreau Filani, I think we're in amazing hands because I think we established the last time we talked about them how in tuned with Star Wars they are and the amount of, for lack of a better word, respect they have for where they draw their knowledge and information from. I think, if it was anybody else, I I would maybe agree with you more, but knowing who we have at the helm, how well they're doing, I think it bodes well for... For Star Wars, I, you know, obviously for KOTOR, I don't know because they're not – gaming is a completely different thing. And because EA oversees this right. and EA sucks, um, I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> with that. And But, you know, who knows? Obviously, if Star Wars brand continues to build, it'd be a very easy money maker to go back to it. That's all I'm going to say. So – Okay. We've got the KOTOR. Okay. So, okay. So the last thing, the last thing that we should, we, we're going to have to talk about here. At the end of the episode, we see a familiar face. Right. And we don't know who, essentially, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to bang my fist on the table and say, that is Boba Fett watching the Mandalorian drive away with his armor that he used to wear when he was a bounty hunter. That's 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 the hill I'm gonna die on. I'm choosing to die on that hill. That's Boba Fett. He that's who 
Uh, well, now I don't know if that was the same person that we kind of saw in the first season on Tatooine in Dark Cloak. But obviously it kind of matches up. Same planet, same cloak, <laughs> same ominous yeah. ending, if you will. It's it Connor pointed out it's the same actor that did play the clones. Tamura Morrison. Um, so that is where I'm drawing uh, my my guess, my prediction from. Okay, big so, guy. So I okay. think it's Boba Fett. Okay. Connor now has something to say about it. I don't think he's ready to confirm yeah. that it is yet, which is fair because this is a bit of a jump. And again, I don't I don't know what happens in episode two. Maybe we figure that out and then I'm right and then we can move on. But mm-hmm. because we haven't yet, it's still up in the air of who is this guy? So Connor, who do you think this is? Who is this Boba Fett looking dude at the end of the episode? Yeah. So... I'm not going to be dramatic and go completely against what you've just said because I think it's very – there's so many signs being very strongly implied who that is. My thing, Austin, and this this is just evident with me as a person. I don't want my heart broken when it's not Boba Fett. But baseline, it is Tamura Morrison. I'm so happy just in general that he's back in the Star Wars universe and he's – He's playing a character. I just think that there might there, there there might be a chance that this is not Boba Fett, simply because Timur Morrison plays a character that is cloned, and he played clones of the original character. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and the reason I say that is Timura, for the very split second we see him, no gray hair, doesn't look very old, and he would be at this point. The timing is such that he would be pretty old. Um, so I'm just, I'm questioning it. And another thing, Boba Fett, if he's alive, if that's him at the end of the episode, the armor is out there. It's being worn by this, uh, by this Cobb character. To me, Boba Fett's pretty ruthless guy. If he got out of the Sarlacc pit, he's alive. He knows where the armor is. He's in the vicinity. Why hasn't he gotten it back yet? Does that mean he's renounced his ways? Seems kind of unlikely for me. Just know, I mean, we don't like, look, we don't know a ton about Boba Fett officially. There's Legends canon, whatever. The little we do know about him, he's a ruthless son of a gun. So is this truly Boba Fett? Was he in the Sarlacc pit and he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to become a monk. (laughs) Like, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that could be an interesting storyline. And if that is so, then I'm, I'm so excited to hear what they have to say about that. But I just want to temper, I guess, my own expectations and say this could be a clone who maybe like saw Boba as a father figure and has sought him out and has watched over his remains or something like or has done a pilgrimage apparently Tatooine is the place to go if you want to become a dried up old crusty guy that's true, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um so that, that that's that's my that's my only piece about that I am that's my only piece about that I am actually going to present information that's going to dispute my own prediction I'm not withdrawing my prediction because I'm not okay. a coward, but nice, nice. <laughs> I have to have some flair. I was – because as you were talking about the actor and I, I was asking myself, okay, where could I be wrong in this? Who else could possibly be played by this actor that 
means something to the Star Wars universe as much as Boba Fett does. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yep. I was like, okay. Yep. And then I was like, oh crap. I just finished the Clone Wars last night. And yep. I'm going to go ahead on a whim. This is a spoiler. I don't care. The Clone Wars has been out since February. So if you haven't watched it, watch it. I'm going to tell you the yep. ending because it's we're going to trans it's going to help transition into the end and what we're talking about of significance of this season. So, I was like, okay, who could this possibly be? And then I remembered at the end of the Clone Wars, Ahsoka Tano, who we'll talk about here in a second, and Captain Rex, who was Anakin's yes. right-hand man and the 501st who was also heavily interactive with Ahsoka in the Clone War animation series. Right. When Order 66 is executed, Captain Rex is with Ahsoka Tano on a cruiser. And ironically enough, they're trying to return Darth Maul to Coruscant to the Jedi Council. Order 66 happens. Rex tries to kill Ahsoka. What happens is Ahsoka gets the implant out of Captain Rex's head. Now... I know that he ends up being okay because if we go fast forward way forward to Rebels, Captain Mm -hmm. Rex and there's like two or three other clones that he knows are alive and well. The Bad Bunch or whatever. I don't think it's the Bad Batch. That might be something different. uh, Sorry, yeah, you're right, you're right, right. But But he's with other people. It's like other clones that he knew. Now... With all of that being taken into account, Captain Rex is a significant piece in Filani's narrative of for the Clone Wars canon. And right. <clears throat> considering the timing of the Clone Wars being released, as far as um, you know, Rex lives, he lives on in Rebels, he lives on in um, you know, obviously at the end of the Clone Wars, it Clone Wars comes out in the spring. We get Mandalorian in the fall. So, with that being said, and Ahsoka Tano is going to be in the show. We already know that. This person could be Captain Rex. And totally, totally. he knows yep. who Yoda is. He knows Master Yoda as a clone interacting heavily with Anakin and Ahsoka, having seen him in obviously messages or, or calls or whatever what what have you could this be captain rex following the mandalorian because he has someone of yoda's descent he knows the importance of this baby yoda and who that person can become and with the introduction of ahsoka tano will that be mean that we're not going to find baby yoda's family or his planet or his people, because I think that's too obscure. But will Baby Yoda be incorporated with Ahsoka Tano to learn the ways of the Force? Because she she left the Jedi Order. She's not technically a Jedi, but there's a lot that right. happened. Great Jedi. Yeah. There's a lot that happened with her that leads me to believe that she could certainly have a case to try and take, not take, to acquire... Eh. There's no good word. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe a force sensitive. That's that's like a very. It's becoming a rarer thing at this point in the universe. Right. So I. That's my obviously my very strong case to dispute Dude, what just I just said. I know I did. So I know I did. But I'm not You're a coward. The man I know. So I'm going to stick with the Boba Fett take. I'm going to stick with it. But with what you just said, and then I asked myself the question. 
Who else could this be? Who else has enough significance that this person, you know, this actor could play a clone? And then I the answer immediately came to me. Ah, oh, shit. Ahsoka Tano's here. Captain Rex escapes with Ahsoka Tano. They are one team together. Obviously, if you watch Rebels, you know that they ended up splitting up some point down the road. But mm-hmm. I don't know where we fall with Rebels and Mandalorian. I think Mandalorian happens well before Rebels does, although it's kind of in the same... No, no, no. Rebels is actually... Wait. Oh, crap. Rebels is still with the Empire existing, I think. Yes, it is. Okay. So... I'm glad I'm glad that you're the expert on all the, the Clone Wars related So, stuff actually... Here. I don't know if it could be Rex because I think Rex dies in Rebels, but I can't remember. It's been a while. But I still think because of Ahsoka Tano, this still could be Captain Rex. Or a Rex-like character. It would have to be someone that was a strong character clone in the Clone Wars that has a... You think it has to be? I mean, to connect with Ahsoka Tano, it can't just be some random clone with some random mission. I don't think that exists. I think everything's interconnected because Ahsoka Tano is such a key piece in basically you bridge the end of, you you bridge Clone Wars into Revenge of the Sith into, into after the creation of the Empire into now after the Empire fall. Ahsoka Tano links all of that together versus we didn't have a link before. Ahsoka Tano's that link because she existed during the Clone Wars with Anakin Skywalker. She existed after Anakin turned to Vader. She left the Order. Um, oh my so God. she's connected there. So at the Rise of the Empire, we see her again in Rebels helping um, another Jedi, Ezra, and I think Kanan. Mm-hmm. So she that's the connection of during the Empire. Now the Mandalorian is immediately post empire and we have we right, know ahsoka yep. tano is there so she is our our link to all of this so this character has to be linked to ahsoka tano in some way in my opinion because right. you just can't have a random clone unless it's Bo- boba fett so it's either got to be boba fett sure. or it's going to be a significant link to ahsoka tano which leads me to believe it's either Captain Rex Dude. or one of the significant <laughs> clones from the 501st that she knows. Right. Wow. Are you sweating right now? You just went Dude, wild, Dude, I know. That was, that was... I'm back in form. But I was literally just sitting here thinking like, okay, no, I'm right. Connor's wrong. It's Boba Fett. Who else could this be? Wait a minute. Wow. Rex escaped with Tano. Tano's in this season. Ah oh, shit! I'm just you literally. Gonna, I'm gonna blow this up. You just up. had a Charlie moment from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh yeah, with the whiteboard and the, and <laughs> the strings the and the lines. Yes, Pepe Sylvia. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So I got binders full of Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> so okay, so we've got our take. That's that is episode one. We have again. I can't reiterate enough. We have not seen episode two. Seen we episode, don't know what happened. Two. Yeah. To wrap up our own return, significance. Of obviously we've seen um, cast list. We know some of the characters obviously that are to come in this season. Mm-hmm. What is something significant? You know, what's a significant piece to you moving forward in this season? I mean, kind of a tough question in, in my mind because I'm just going to talk about Ahsoka Tano. So I guess in that context, I'm going to talk about the importance of Ahsoka Tano connecting everything. 
and who she is and right. what her role is in this season. So that's my take. That's my significant piece that's going to play through. Is there something for you now with the limited information you know from one episode and a cast list? Or is there is it kind of still up in the air for you? It's... I mean, look, after that diatribe you just went through, that sweaty diatribe, how could I, how could one disagree? I think you're absolutely right. I think the enemy, the enemy sorcerers that have been alluded to, I think the point of contact is most likely going to be Ahsoka Tano. And that's a great one to do because she is not part of the Jedi Council anymore. She's not part of that organization. So Mando's very one-dimensional view and what he's known of Jedis is going to be challenged by a character like Ahsoka Tano. It's to me, that's a perfect way because now, ha ha ha! Like I said earlier, we're getting into some gray stuff mm-hmm. because she literally is a gray Jedi. That is the definition of a gray Jedi: it's someone who walks a path away from the Jedi Council, but is not a Dark Force user. So, you know, much like some of the classic ones, like Jolie Bindo from Kotor, uh, just a great character, probably the best character in Star Wars. Fight me. <laughs> so, I I think you're absolutely right. I have no reason to dispute what you said. And in fact, I think he, nobody did a better job dismantling what you said about Boba Fett than you did. So I won't even touch <laughs> it. It takes that. one to know one, I guess, um, in myself. Yeah. yeah. You know? So um, just for all the, the, the deep lore uh, daddies out there, I'll, I'll, do, huh. I'll, do a, uh, I'll do a quick fire, rapid fire round here of all the things that you may have wanted to hear. So the fight rings, those started on Terrace which was a world destroyed by the early Sith Empire. Uh, Another one, uh, he is speaking in Tusken to the Tusken Raiders. And if you don't know, the original Tusken Raiders were chopped in edited audio of donkeys, which is why they have the (laughs) kind of thing going on. (laughs) I didn't know that. Another cool cool one, the bartender, which I thought was was kind of a weird moment for me. The bartender, uh, two things about that scene. Number one, did you notice that it was our favorite brewing company, Blue Shrimp Brewing Beer Company, what? being served. That was Spotchka. A little bit of a connection to the first season. Very cool. Which is very, I mean, for a, such a small operation, they really have uh, Spotchka going all over wait, the place. Wait, wait, wait. So time place. out before you keep rapid fire. So you're saying our boys made it. They did it. D- they they beat it, the dude. odds. They beat the Blue odds of dying. Shrimp Brewing Company. Yes. <laughs> I'm amazed. Somebody survived, and they had they had the recipe. And he's like, "For my fallen <laughs> brothers, I shall serve spotchka to the farthest reaches of the galaxy, in a, in a bar in the most obscure town on Tatooine." I was going to say a hell of a dis, uh, distribution operation reaching this yeah. podunk town that no one knows exists. Whatever guy survived, not only did he have the recipe, but he had the supply chain management skills to bring spotchka <laughs> to the rest of the galaxy. What a what a legend! So number that's the first thing. The second thing, that is a weak way. They are known to be proficient in explosives. Uh, they're actually, um, they're not the inventors of the Wookiee Bowcaster, but they popularized their use outside of uh, the, you know, kind of the Wookiee diaspora throughout the galaxy. So another interesting thing, they're known as specialists of Wookiee Bowcasters, uh, which is the weapon that, uh, you know, Chewbacca uses quite often. Um, so that's interesting. Another thing, Timothy Oliphant's character, Cobb, you know, they have like this backstory with like Cobb and the bartender. So you would think that they refer to each other by their first name. But if you noticed, he was like, weak way. I'll have two spotchkas. And I'm like, come on, bro. <laughs> That's like if I if I was hanging out with you and I'm like, Asian, <laughs> get me beer. <laughs> I just thought that was a weird, weird thing. 
Um, the crate dragon in Legends lore, which is no longer canon. Uh, they're more like a giant Komodo dragon. They walked completely above the sand. The only thing that burrowed like the crate dragon in the episode was the sandworms. Um, so I thought it was interesting to kind of combine sandworms and crate dragons like that. Not against it. It was a pretty cool, uh, pretty imposing monster. Did you notice what the sand people, the Tusken Raiders, pulled out of the guts at the end? I What would you characterize that like as? An egg? See, everybody thought it was an egg. That is not an egg. That is a crate dragon pearl. Oh. The significance of those, not a ton is known about them, but in KOTOR and also some books, crate dragon pearls were a premium, super rare lightsaber component. They were a power crystal. Oh. Again, power crystals aren't necessarily canon anymore, so I get why they, they had to kind of change it around. But originally, crate dragon pearls were small enough that they could be placed in the hilt of a lightsaber as a power crystal in addition to the focusing crystal and the base crystal. So um, I believe in I believe in KOTOR, the crate Dragon Pearls are pretty strong. They give you, like, um, I think a critical hit chance and a higher damage range and shit like that. But pretty interesting now that the crate Dragon Pearls like this giant kind of, like, like bladder stone or whatever. <laughs> Kidney stone, yeah. So that was interesting. <laughs> and lastly, the little dog lizards with the Tusken Raiders are called... Uh, to harken back to what I said about Lucas earlier, his names for things are either exactly what they're supposed to be or totally random. These are called Massifs, which is one letter off from Mastiffs, which is a dog. And these are clearly clearly dogs. Nice. So, good job, Lucas. Uh, that's my rapid fire round. Also, Beautiful. the curse word he uses is dank ferric, which I had I know nothing about. I just think it's funny that a curse word in this universe is dank. Nice. That The fact that dank is... A curse word is, in fact, dank. Did I did I do that right? Is dank ferric? Is that weed? I think so. But also, you, I think the kids describe things as dank now too. I mean, I don't really know. I'm, I'm kind of out of tune with the canon of kids nowadays. So yeah, I don't know if the kids are doing that anymore. Exactly. Man. Exactly. So I will. I'll take us home here a little bit of the significance of what I'm expecting as far as the season goes. And I already obviously went on a massive massive monologue of a Sukatano. And the reason why I want to <clears throat> bring her up and, and discuss her very not briefly, but kind of we've got we got a little bit of time left here. Mm-hmm. My wife, who is a casual Star Wars fan, when I said something about Ahsoka Tano, she was like, I don't get why she's so important. All I hear is people talking about her like in Disney groups and Star Wars groups and whatnot, like everyone's a Sokotano, mm-hmm. Sokotano. Like, I don't get it. So I'm here to essentially talk about why she's important. Obviously, I talked about it a little bit before in my monologue, but I'm going to discuss a little bit of who she is and then why she is such a big, going to be such a driving force in this season, in my opinion. Now, obviously, with the Mandalorian and how they kind of put things together, I don't know if that will be true, but I sure hope so. So Okay. So obviously Ahsoka Tano was the former Padawan to Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars. Um, And you get that from the animated series. There's also an animated movie about it that coincides with it. I highly, highly recommend watch. I mean, it's a lot of episodes. They're 20 minutes. Uh, There's, like I said, a lot of them. But if you go to StarWars.com, you look at the canon for the Clone Wars, watch it in that order and you'll have an understanding of the significance of Ahsoka Tano. She was at Anakin's side, and Obi-Wan's for that matter, 
I mean, for a massive right. amount of time, you saw her develop and grow close with Anakin. Anakin really taught her so much. And if you had to say, like, how Anakin was a little bit reckless under Obi-Wan Kenobi, but immensely effective as a fighter, a pilot, and all that, that is Ahsoka Tano. He essentially groomed Ahsoka the way he came and fought into the Clone Wars. So... It was a huge deal to Anakin Skywalker when she left. Now, why did she leave? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you want to watch The Clone Wars, plug your ears. If you just want the, the spark notes, I'm going to give it to you. Ahsoka Tano left the Jedi Order because there was an incident on Coruscant where there was an attack on the Jedi Temple where she was implicated and the Council essentially, what she felt was betrayed her. Now, Anakin was the only right. advocate for her at the time, and she just felt immensely betrayed by this. Now, we find out that it was actually one of Ahsoka's close friends, who I think was a, a Padawan similar to her, that turned to the dark mm -hmm. side and had framed Ahsoka and was doing all of these things. And, I mean, Ahsoka proclaims her innocence, and it was the Jedi Council that basically refused to hear it and imprisoned her and was going to kick her out of the order. Now, Anakin helps clear that up, and she does get her name cleared. And it's very clear at the end of the episode when all of that happens, all the dust settles, the Jedi Council's like, basically, he's like, oh, our bad, Ahsoka. Hopefully, we're cool. Come on back. And this was such a profound thing to Ahsoka that she walked away from the Jedi Order. She walked away from Anakin Skywalker. She, I think it's important to mention, she really doesn't have any family of her own. So she walks away from the family she has known for years and years and years. The clones, right. Anakin, Brutal. everything. She walks away from it. So a huge deal. And I think one of the major factors in helping turn Anakin to the dark side, I think she was really one of the last bastions of light for him that when she left it was kind of over for him now it's funny at the end of the clone wars we find out that the last interaction they have is right before anakin does all his weird stuff and becomes darth vader um <laughs> before stuff. that he was with ahsoka um they were there was something on mandalore that happened with maul that uh, that essentially um Anakin and, and Obi-Wan were supposed to respond to, but because the Chancellor with all the stuff with the Chancellor and Grievous and all that, it, it basically Revenge, Revenge of the Sith happens, coincides with the very end of this Clone Wars episode. So we know that she escapes. We know that she's with Captain Rex. She, it, like I said before, she connects everything that we know about Star Wars from the Clone Wars, early Clone Wars, all the way to now. And that's a huge timepiece. She's even essentially brought back from the dead and rebels. So quite the important character. And we know how the animated series that we see on Disney plus are in tune in line canon with what we see now with live action in the movies. So I think Ahsoka Tano is going to be the key piece to watch in season two. I really hope she has a large role because she is an awesome character. Um, her story mm -hmm. is incredible and I'm honestly curious as to where she is in her storyline herself when it comes to this. So it's just really interesting. And so that's my significant okay. piece to look at as the Mandalorian develops. What do we see with Ahsoka Tano? How does she play? How does she come to play? So I'm very excited to see that. 
And that you. is kind of my significant piece, if you will, of Ahsoka Tano and where she mm. ties into the Mandalorian, essentially. Let me let me leave you, Austin, with something to chew on. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the, the canon Twi'lek lifespan is. I'm assuming it's pretty long if she is in this season. But I would be prepared to see an Ahsoka Tano that might be quite different because she's got to be pretty old at this point. And... And that that was part of my little thesis statement with a pretty young-looking Tamura Morrison in the last shot, which is why I think that, well, both that doesn't matter as much. But just be prepared for that because I'm, I'm not really sure what she's going to look like and how she's going to act because so much time has passed since we really checked in with her, you know, properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting thing. And I also don't know the effect of... In Rebels, there's, I, you know, I would encourage people to obviously watch the entire thing, but try and, if you don't want to watch it, find the scene, the scenes. I think there's two episodes with Ahsoka in them in the significance. She, she dies. Vader kills her in an explosion mm-hmm. at a Sith temple. I'll just say it outright. Ezra finds, it's really weird. There's like, and this is where I think maybe it goes into KOTOR a little bit. There's a Jedi temple that, the Empire's trying to extract knowledge from that Ezra is able to get into. And it's like this weird force time continuum where he goes back and he saves Ahsoka from death. Does that play a part in anything as far as the aging process that we understand? Now, that is a huge, huge leap. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But I would not put it past Filani and Favreau, especially because Filani... I believe was heavily involved with all the animated series. Maybe it's something we and there won't could even understand. Be, yeah, there could even be a connection with like sort of the Darth Plagueis narrative of extended life by drawing on the Force in a in an evil way. But that that could play into it. I mean, it, it could just be as simple as she's now saved in the second timeline that Ezra did, and Twilight's have a really long lifespan. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. So I'm definitely looking forward to the rest of this season and the, the rest of this podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be back. My God! And so the last You're the back. last thing I'll say, I promise about Ahsoka, because I just remembered, the last time I believe okay. the last time that we saw Ahsoka was in basically this Force time continuum space that Ezra saved her from, and Ezra leaves. I do not remember if she does. I. I'm not sure. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure she immediately leaves. I think she, there was an interaction that she was looking for Master Yoda who was kind of calling to her or, or something. So that could be a possible connection we see. But again, I, I don't know how it's all going to play out. But yes, very excited about Ahsoka Tano. Mm. Very excited to be back talking about Dweeb Dive, diving in. And hopefully you guys have liked <laughs> our new approach to everything. So... I liked it, Austin. Well, that's good. I'm glad you liked it. Hopefully the listeners liked it. I was a little shocked that you had so much feedback of, hey, where'd you guys go? So that's exciting. So hopefully hopefully we we reached the bar with everybody again. Um, Find us um, on Twitter, at Dweeb Dive. I'm going to keep it simple. Just find us on Twitter, at Dweeb Dive. It's probably uh, the easiest thing to do. Um, And then just Apple Podcast, Dweeb Dive. We should be back up. And running again, mm-hmm. um, leave us reviews. I, you know, would love to hear if you guys have any questions about it. Um, 
moving forward, I think that that might be an emphasis. I know we tried to do that last time, but you guys were probably so burnt out at the end of the episodes of all the knowledge we jammed into your brains. You're like, okay, that's enough. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to them anymore. So I don't, (laughs) I don't blame you, but check us out. Twitter, Apple podcasts, Excited to be back. We're going to watch episode two. We'll be back again to talk about that. Uh, Connor, any any final parting words before we wrap this up? May the force be with you. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you guys so much again for tuning in. We're excited to be back, and we will see you guys next time. Bye! There it is. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dweeb Dive. If you liked what you heard, please, please, please like and give us a follow so we can continue diving into your favorite topics. There's been a lot of hot takes. There's been a lot of claims, a lot of references to the deep lore. If you have a question, a comment, feedback, you're angry with me for something perhaps inaccurate I said, which is very likely, please do not hesitate to reach out on our accounts and ask us the big questions. We would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.